1: 5 p.m. Central African Time. Good evening and welcome to Africa Digest. You're listening to Channel Africa, giving you news from an African perspective. We're broadcasting to you live from our studios in Johannesburg, South Africa. And we're on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. And online, it's www.channelafrica.co.za. My name is Samora Mangesi, driving the show with Juala Netulo, Usani Matebula and Musibudi Makura. Top stories on Africa Digest at this hour, Angola's former president Jose Eduardo dos Santos steps down as leader of the ruling party, South African president opens the ITU Telecom World Conference 2018 at the country's port city of Durban. In economics, Kenya calls on African governments to devise joint policies for air travel within the continent. And lastly in sport, Alistair Cook hits Century in final test innings. But first, let's find out what's happening in the world of news with Joalani.
2: Thank you, Samora. Good morning, good, good, good afternoon. At least two staff members have been killed after several armed men attacked the headquarters of Libya's National Oil Corporation (NOC) in the capital Tripoli. Two gunmen were also killed and at least ten NOC staff wounded. Security forces say they have regained control of the building in the city center. The attack came less than a week after a truce halted fierce clashes between rival armed groups in Tripoli. This is the latest eruption of violence in Libya, which has been in turmoil since a 2011 uprising toppled Muammar Gaddafi, no group has claimed immediate responsibility for the attack. Egyptian security forces have killed 11 suspected militants in an exchange of fire in the north north Sinai town of Al-Arish. According to state media, the clash occurred after two security forces tried to apprehend a group of militants at an abandoned petrol station who were reportedly planning terrorist operations. Police seized guns and cartridges during the clash. No casualties have been reported. South Africa's former President Jacob Zuma's son Duduzani Zuma is to appear before the Commission of Inquiry into state capture and testify in Parktown north of Johannesburg. Previously, Duduzani declined to give testimony, saying he is facing parallel criminal charges. He has also applied to cross-examine some witnesses who have, been, who have implicated him in the evidence before the Commission. Duduzani has since been implicated in the testimony of former Deputy Finance Minister Nkibisi Jonas and former ruling ANC mp Fakie Mentor's av- evidence. Proceedings have since been adjourned to Wednesday. Deputy Chief Justice Raymond Zondo says the status development changes to Duzani's application for leave to cross-examine.
0: The latest development in regard to him does change his situation and places his application in the same category as the others that were dealt with. I must deal with it formally. When uh, I uh, give a decision in regard to the others as well and because also his uh, lawyers are not here today.
2: President John Magufuli Magufuli rather has urged Tanzanian women to give up contraceptive methods insisting that his country needs more people. Magufuli was making a speech on Sunday he urged Tanzanians to ignore bad advice disseminated by outsiders stressing that it is it is important to reproduce. Tanzania has a population of around 60 million people up from 10 million at independence in 1961. The UN predicts Africa's population will double to around 2 billion by 2050, leading to warnings of a demographic time bomb if economic growth and job creation cannot keep up. And finally, there have been new warnings from the UN nuclear watchdog, the IAEA, about the threat from North Korea's nuclear program. The head of the agency, Yukia Amano, says the North's continuing activities are a cause for grave concern. The BBC's Bethany Baum has the story. In a written statement to the IAEA's Board of Governors, Mr Amano said North Korea's ongoing nuclear activities violated UN Security Council resolutions and were deeply regrettable. He called on Pyongyang to comply with its international obligations. The IAEA's inspectors are banned from North Korea, but Mr Amano said they were ready to return if a political agreement could be reached. He also told the board that Iran was continuing to comply with its commitments under the international nuclear deal. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo.
1: Kicking it off in Angola, Angola's former President Jose Eduardo dos Santos has stepped down as leader of the ruling party uh, the ruling People's Movement for the li- uh, li- for the Liberation of Angola, otherwise known as the MPLA, after four decades at the helm of the party. Now, he has handed over the leadership of the party to his successor, President João Lourenco. As his, ruling- his rule comes to an end, Dos Santos says he wants to be remembered for his dignified exit from a position he has held since 1979. The 76-year-old Liberation War veteran did not stand for re-election in last year's polls and handed over the reins of power to his defense minister, Lorenzo, But he remained at the helm of the party, where much of the real power is seen to be vested. Channel Africa spoke to Belamino Van Dunham, an Angolan political analyst, about Dos Santos's exit from politics and what it means for
3: Angola. What we can say is very important to have uh, José Eduardo Santos in our country, in our political. And uh, he decided to step down. He, his legacy is very well. He brings peace. He brings one country, and he he gives so much contribution for our region and for the continent. So we are so proud, and uh, this is example for the Africa. We have this transition, peaceful transition, and now President uh, Juan lorenz has this uh, great job to continue to to, to uh, in the. Government of Angola and toward what the legacy of Jose Eduardo Santos. But it's very important in Angola. We think that too, after Mandela in South Africa, in our continent, Jose Eduardo Santos. Uh, uh, real he did uh, a big work for for the continent is the example that we need in Africa is he bowing
4: out with a dignified legacy do you think
3: yes, no 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 no. it's not the time you know we have to see for the circumstance of the story that makes him to remain all this time in the power uh, really, we have a, uh, a new democracy, we are young, young countries in Africa, but it's not the legacy of the, all this time in power, but the legacy of to work for the harmonization of the people, bring peace, to make some dialogue with the opposition. It's in this way that we have to see. But uh, I think never we will have a person in our country that will remain party three years in power. It, it, It will be impossible because we have the democracy, but we are, we are seeing for the legacy of to work for the country, to 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 bring peace and uh, uh, the other with all the organizations in our country is indeed in that way that we are uh things president
4: lorenzo quickly moved to assert his authority after being elected president last year beginning to dismantle his predecessor's empire what does dos santos make of the changes that president lorenzo has introduced in government does he support those changes
3: Yes, he have to attend. All of us, we have to attend We are, we are in new We cannot see Isabel Du Santo and Zen Du Santos have a, a, a son and daughter of Jose Eduardo Santos. We have to see them have a citizenship. It's not only Isabel Du Santo and Filomena Du Santos to go, go go out of the, the office. We have 100 people who go out, but. International community and some groups in our country, all these two guys. Why? We have to change President Ron Lorenzo. He needs and he have to make a change, a new a political, a new vision. Because if he don't do this thing, what he will do? Really what did President
4: Lorenzo that? say over the weekend in his speech as he assumed the leadership of the party?
3: He he did a, a, a great speech. Is the speech that I think that is a speech for outside of the party. Is not for inside of the party because all the things that he said is to uh, try to to, to to show for the people that now MPLA is in new era. MPLA will speak with the civil society will be more open than before this is normal and i think emperor will have uh maybe more chance to win in in next election that we will have in our country
1: and that's belamino van angolan political analyst on the line from the capital luanda talking to kumbero munzerere The Sunday Times is standing by its story that former President Jacob Zuma and other senior African National Congress officials are plotting to overthrow South African President Cyril Ramaphosa. This comes in the wake of the ANC calling on the newspaper to retract its report, which claimed that several party leaders had attended a secret meeting in Durban to discuss how they could overturn the results of last year's ANC elective conference at Nasrek in southern Johannesburg. Now, the report written by journalist Kenita Hunter and Jeff Wicks alleged that Zuma had led the meeting, which included ANC Secretary-General Ace Makashule, former Northwest Premier Supra Mahomapelo, and the ANC's KwaZulu-Natal Youth League Secretary, Tandukolo Sabela. Sakina, Kwam, Sakina Kamwendo has asked Hunter whether the newspaper would retract its story. The
5: ANC is asking us to retract a story that it does not want to Uh, you know, come out and actively deny that the meeting took place. In their statement and subsequent conversations with the spokesperson of the ANC, he is not talking about the actual meeting that the Sunday Times is reporting about, and the one that we reported before, that's the one at the Beverly Hills Hotel. The, he refuses to engage on why did the Secretary General of the ANC deny meeting former President Jacob silver moments after the meeting outside of the Maharani Hotel in Durban, where the meeting took place. He refuses to explain why... Um, uh, you know, the secretary general of the Women's League denied even being in Durban, despite photographic evidence placing her in the meeting with Zuma and in outside the hotel afterwards. Um, you know, we 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 have done a thorough assessment of this. Uh, you know. Before writing the story, we spoke to a number of people. We did not only rely on eyewitnesses or sources. We actually sent a reporter to the hotel to see if these people were there. And when he arrived at the hotel, he found Secretary General Ismahashu there. He found Sukar Muhammad who was a former Northwest leader, um, you know, and and um, you know, and, and Tandukolo uh, Sabelo, etc., outside of the hotel. And when he asked him, you know, did you have a meeting with the former president? They denied it. Now, now, when you say, how do you know this meeting was clandestine, it would happen in a hotel. The question, the answer is, why would you lie about it? Why would you actively go out of your way to, to deny having a meeting with the ANC, uh, former president Jacob Zuma, if um, there was nothing sinister about it? That's the first question, you know, that the ANC needs to answer. The second question the party, is, they need to answer is that the ANC chairperson in KwaZulu-Natal, who I would think is the official voice of things happening in that province, said, this was not an ANC meeting. Uh, the the ANC in had knew nothing about it, um, and they didn't even know the SG was in town. So, so you know, a question that I'm asking myself is why is the ANC now ravishing something it claimed not to be part of as a you know as a movement?
0: Okay, let's hypothetically assume now, uh, given that it is in dispute that this meeting took place, why is this significant, and 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 how does it go on to prove that a plot is? Being hatched to actually ask President Ramaphosa?
5: So let me take you uh, back a few months, Sakina, and you would note that there was a report uh, done uh, I think it was at the time that uh, there was a meeting between Subra Mahoma Pelo and Jacob Zuma, and at the time people were concerned, they raised it in the NFC meeting um, about why are these leaders meeting, what are the purpose of the meeting, uh, and they denied it at the time. Then this uh you know there was there was talk of meeting of for the forming of a political party, again, it was denied at the time. Now, this particular meeting, the reason why it's so significant is, firstly, the Secretary General of the ANC has been suspected of working with people, um, you know, who were in the so-called NDZ campaign, in resisting the leadership of the ANC um, President, Cyril Ramaphosa for a long time. But this is the first time, and you would see in the story a senior ANC leader being quoted to say this was the first time they actually had evidence that he was part of of the, of the um, you know, of, of of those meetings and, and conversations.
0: Your problem remains, Konita. How do you prove that this was about a plot to oust President Cyril Ramaphosa?
6: So, you know, how do
5: how did we prove that Nkabisi Jonas was offered the position of, of finance minister uh, by the Guptas in 2016 and we wrote the story? It's because we spoke to a number of people People like Senzan Kumu spoke on the record to say they knew about those meetings. We spoke to ANC leaders. We speak, corroborated this information. We went to, we went far to give specific details about specific, you know, the fact that the meeting so, took place on the second floor. I mean, it's, it's so which which
0: ball. information did you corroborate? The fact that the uh, uh, the uh, uh, agenda for this particular meeting or the two meetings on subsequent days was actually about a plot to oust Ramaphosa.
5: Absolutely, and if you read the story, you would see quotes from senior ANC leaders, and you would know that I mean, no one is going to speak on the record on this on this particular incident because, given the political nature, and like I'm saying, people, people. The ANC denied the story of Nkbisi Jonas based on the same uh, situation. There's so many state capture stories that the party denied based on how can you prove that Zuma told Temba Maseko, you know, to help the Guptas. And now this is evidence in the state capture inquiry. So I feel it's sort of disingenuous with the party now to come out and say, oh, you know, bring a recording of, of the actual meeting. This was... This was a meeting, it was corroborated, it was people, you know, we went there ourselves to prove that these people were in the meeting, and the the agenda of the meeting was corroborated by speaking to a number of people. So, you know, it comes back to it. To, to the point of, uh, you know, how 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 would you know the specific? It's the same question. How yeah. did we? How, we wouldn't have had a commission of inquiry into state capture if we did not run with the story that Mkabisi Jonas was offered the position of finance minister. So I really think the ANC now is, you know, sort of catching on straws because for them they need to explain to the to the people or to, to the party even that you know why was the meeting taking place? Why deny the meeting taking place? Just
1: Sunday Times journalist Kenita Hunter was speaking to Sakina Kamwendo.
7: Remembering Mama Albertina Sisulu.
0: We will say whatever we are expected to say by the people and we are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the people. We are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the liberation of the oppressed people of this country.
7: Sisulu
1: Centenary. Channel Africa leading the Women's Month conversations. West Africa's Guinea-Bissau today marks 44 years of independence from colonial rule. Uh, the country, which was once hailed as a potential model for African development, is now regarded as one of the poorest nations globally. Its current leader is Jose Maria Vaz, a former finance minister who won the 2014 presidential election. Jane Robotata reports.
8: Guinea-Bissau was part of the Portuguese empire for centuries and was once known as the slave coast. The country has a population of over one million people and 14% of the population speaks Portuguese. Guinea-Bissau's gross domestic product per capita is one of the lowest in the world. Its economy is based mainly on agriculture, fish, cashew nuts and ground nuts which are the main export products. The country has also been used in the past few years as a conduit for smuggling Latin American cocaine to Europe. Guinea-Bissau's war with its colonizer, Portugal, ended in 1974. However, since independence, the country has been plagued by coups and political unrest. In 1980, a military coup established authoritarian dictator, João Bernardo Nino Vieira, as president. The dictator was instrumental in the struggle against Portuguese rule. Despite setting a path to market economy and multi-party system, there were several failed attempts to unseat Vieira through the 1980s and early 1990s. In 1994, Vieira was elected president in the country's first free elections, but a military mutiny and resulting civil war eventually led to his exit in presidential office in May 1999. The following year, a transitional government turned over power to opposition leader Kumbayala who was in power for only three years due to a military and bloodless coup. Businessman Henry Grossa was sworn in as interim president until former President Vieira returned from asylum to win presidential election in 2005, pledging to pursue economic development and national reconciliation. He was eventually killed in an assassination attack in 2009, and the impoverished West African nation continued to witness power struggles. Guinea-Bissau's current leader, a former finance minister, José Mario Vaz, won the presidential election runoff of May 2014 by a big margin. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Jane Rabutata in Johannesburg.
1: 1719 Central African Time. You're still listening to Channel Africa. giving you news from an African perspective. Now, the 10th of September is World Suicide Prevention Day, and this represents an important opportunity to reflect on past interventions surrounding this case. Now, to examine present ones and to look towards what we want to see in the future. To help us do this, we are joined on the line by Nicole Breen, Project Leader for the Information and Awareness uh, at the South African Federation for Mental Health. Nicole, thank you very much.
9: My pleasure.
1: Now... Why do you feel that suicide is an area that is both neglected and stigmatized in South Africa?
9: Well, I think that the sheer size of the risk is underestimated. Um, Worldwide, 400,000 people a year commit suicide, and it's the 18th leading cause of death among adults, and the second leading cause of death among young people. Um, I think that this um, sheer size of the issue is ignored, and that... Thus, the issue is neglected and coordinated responses are not developed. Um, suicide is also considered a taboo in many cultures. Um, it's um, thought of as a sin and a great shame. And mm-hmm. um, so um, no concrete steps have been taken to ensure people are educated about devices and to understand that it's more than a bid for attention or simply given up, that it's a serious issue that needs our attention.
1: Definitely. Now, we often hear about the young being at particular risk. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, so you did say that it's one of the leading causes of death in, in adults as well as young people. But um, uh, would you say that older people are more at risk than younger people?
9: This is actually a phenomenon that has been on the rise. It was um, reported in The Guardian, in fact, that um, there's an alarming increase in the amount of older people committing suicide. Um, Older people go through a lot of transitions from the working world to retirement or from um, independent living to assisted living, and some people can't cope with that.
1: Mm. And let's talk about some of the factors that uh, would influence younger people.
9: Um, well, there are spectrum of factors. There's different pressures and, stress, uh, pressures and stresses um, when you are a young person. You know, there's school, there's family. There's, um, you know, also the fact that um, the onset of um, mental illnesses um, often takes place um, in young adulthood. With mental illness, with 75% of mental illnesses emerging um, by um, during this time in a person's life, and chronic um, illness. Uh, mental health conditions, um, definitely contribute to suicide.
1: Mm. Now, what are some of the reasons why suicide rates tend to be unreported or underreported?
9: I think that there are very poor surveillance systems and also the way the deaths are recorded, um, lead to deaths being recorded as being um, accidental in nature. Mm.
1: And how can we ensure that the media res- uh, reports responsibly on issues which surround suicide uh, that is not sensationalized?
9: Well, I would say education is key here. Um, so reporting cannot be sensationalist. Um, you know, it, it should depict mental health care users and their plight with as much dignity as, um, as possible. Um, the South African Federation for Mental Health has in fact developed a media guide um, which discusses positive reporting on mental health issues.
1: Mm. Alright, and would you say, because we are hearing a lot more about suicide nowadays. You know, I mean, I go on Twitter and I, I see people telling their stories about, you know, depression and stuff like that, etc. Uh, and they're precious, so they're a lot more open about it. But would you say that it's a matter of we are now more stressed and therefore the, the suicide rate has gone higher or it uh, just wasn't um, as out there before?
9: Well, I think um, it's a bit of both. You know, people do um, live more stressful lives and have different pressures um, that they are under. Um, I think also it has become more reportable. You know, people mm. um, aren't as afraid to speak out about these issues and so they're coming to light more often.
1: And How detrimental has the state's failure to take bold steps towards preventing suicide been, especially for suicidal people and their families?
9: Um, So um, our organization feels that this is one of the factors that actually greatly increases the risk of um, suicide within our Mm -hmm. society. So if adequate um, support structures were put in place, um, or rather if adequate support structures are not put in place, it's likely that a person will never receive the help that they need, to help and support that they need in order to prevent them from committing suicide. Um, People require a a safety net to prevent them from taking decisions to end their own lives.
1: And what do you think a national response to suicide should entail?
9: I think it should be a multi-pronged and multi-sectoral response. I think there should be prevention and early intervention factors involved. Um, Naturally, there should be education factors. um, and um, very importantly, there should be early detection of mental health conditions, um, like I said, and also management of these conditions.
1: Mm. And uh, if I know of someone or I feel like I might be in that position, how and where can I get help uh, considering uh, you know, suicide especially?
9: Um, Well, the South African um, Depression and Anxiety Group has a suicide crisis line. Mm -hmm. Um, It is 800-567-567. You can contact them. Um, We also have an um, information um, desk. Um, So you can contact us on 011-781-1852, and you can be referred to to an organizational group that can provide you with assistance.
1: All right, so let's just recap that information again. The number for the South African Depression Anxiety Group is 0800 5 67567. Yes, and then your help desk is? 011 781
9: 1852.
1: All right. Thank you very much, Nicole, for speaking to us and letting us know about, you know, something that is so prevalent in our lives nowadays, and uh, you know that is killing a lot of, a lot of people, young and old. That was Nicole Breen, project leader for the information and awareness at the South African Federation for Mental Health.
8: Swiss chocolate wouldn't be Swiss chocolate without African cocoa. (laughs) You know, it's funny when you think about it that way because you realise just how important Africa is to the global economy.
4: And as long as we are deemed to be inferior by the community out there, nothing's ever going to change. I believe it was one of the uh,
7: ancient Greek philosophers who said that when we
4: teach, we'll
7: learn twice. Hello, Africa. Welcome to 1000 African Voices on Channel Africa. 1000 African Voices every Saturday morning at 9am, with repeats on Sundays between 10 and 11, as well as on Monday morning between 3 and 4 Central African Time, 1000 African Voices, with me, Aburrengwi C on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance from an African Perspective.
1: The time is now 17.27, Central African Time. Africa Digest coming to you from Johannesburg, South Africa. Now, South African President Cyril Ramaphosa has opened the ITU Telecom World Conference 2018 at the Inkosi Albert Luthuli Convention Center in Durban. The conference has attracted 7,000 delegates including senior members of government, leaders of multilateral organizations, regulators and entrepreneurs. Discussions and showcases will feature the latest developments in technology such as preparations for 5G networks, impact and ownership of artificial intelligence and the risk of a smarter world. This annual conference is being held on the African continent for the first time. More from the Minister of Telecommunications and Postal Services, Siabonga Tuele.
8: Swiss chocolate wouldn't be Swiss chocolate without African cocoa. <laughs> you know, it's funny when you think about it that way because you realize just how important Africa is to the global economy.
4: And as long as we are deemed to be inferior by the community out there, nothing's ever
1: going to change. I believe it's was one of the uh, ancient Greek philosophers who said that when we teach, we'll
7: learn twice. Hello, Africa. Welcome to 1000 African Voices on Channel Africa. 1000 African Voices every Saturday morning at 9am with repeats on Sundays between 10 and 11 as well as on Monday morning between 3 and 4 Central African Time 1000 African Voices with me, Awurengwi C on Channel Africa the voice of the African Renaissance from an African Perspective
1: Apologies about that. It seems like we do not have that story at the moment, but we will come back to it a little bit later on and we'll let you know about what was happening in Durban when President Cyril Ramaphosa opened the ITU Telecom World Conference 2018. If you do want to get in contact with us, you can uh, send us a WhatsApp to 763003327. That is 763003327. 76- uh, 3003327 zero, zero, and if you're outside of the South African borders be sure to use that international dialing code which is plus two seven but right now it's just gone half past five Central African time let's find out what's happening in the news headlines
2: Thank you, Samora. Making headlines, at least two staff members have been killed after several armed men attacked the headquarters of Libya's National Oil Corporation in the capital Tripoli. Egyptian security forces have killed 11 suspected militants in an exchange of fire in the North Sinai town of Al-Arish. And finally, there have been new warnings from the U.S from the UN's nuclear watchdog, the IAEA, about the threat from North Korea's nuclear program. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo.
1: All right, going back to Durban and uh, President Sarah Ramaphosa and opening the ITU Telecom World Conference. 2018. This happened in Durban. And just to recap quickly, some of the discussions and showcases will feature the latest developments in technology such as preparations for 5G networks, impact and ownership of artificial intelligence, which should be very interesting, and the risk of a smarter world. Now, the annual conference is being held on the African continent for the first time. And more from the telecommunications and postal services minister, Siabonga Kuele.
10: This is a very important global conference. As you know, ITU is a UN specialized agency for the ICTs. And uh, because it's the first time we're holding this conference in Africa or even the southern hemisphere. And they were excited because we're holding it on the centenary year of our former president Nelson Mandela, who had an honor of being invited to come and address this uh, conference in 1995 in Geneva. Now that we are celebrating a centenary, how good it is that it is held in this country kind of bed. So we're very excited. It will be bringing about 7,000 participants from governments, from the industry, and the regulators to look at the new forms of regulation as we face this new thing called the Fourth Industrial Revolution, which is about simple the new form of production, where we're using artificial intelligence, robotics, and the new materials. So we're very excited that uh, the industry will be looking at all these things. They'll be looking at the new networks, they'll be looking at the, uh, which I call 5G networks, they'll be looking at the new methods of production. That's why it's not just about telecom companies. Even the companies, the banking sector will be there because we are talking about blockchain technologies which we are currently testing with the uh, South African Reserve Bank and how these platforms are going to facilitate trade uh, in the future. So those are the technical things which will be there and we showcasing our own because we are also still experimenting these uh, new networks. We're using our companies and our regulators given a spectrum for that uh, so that by 2020, we start rolling out these things without delay. We're also looking at uh, showcasing that uh, South Africa is a place for investment. We want investment in the ICT sector to support the fourth industrial revolution. We want data centers We want innovation centers. I'm very happy that some of the companies are already putting those things here in South Africa because that's the next layer. We start from networks, we come from these uh, data centers which are critical, the internet service exchange points, and so on. Those are the
1: things which are critical for the future. And that was the South African Minister of Telecommunications and Postal Services, Siabonga. Mwedeh. Now, September is Deaf Awareness Month in South Africa, which seeks to increase public knowledge around deafness, promote the rights of deaf people and the deaf culture. Now, the Centre for Deaf Studies at the country's university of the Witwatersrand is also turning 20 this year. The centre has been a pioneer in deaf education and a leader on the African continent, specialising in teacher education in deaf education, also focusing attention on the much-neglected field of early intervention for families and their deaf infants. More from Professor Claudine Storbeck of the Witz, Witz uh, Center for Deaf Studies.
11: Deaf Awareness Month is significant because in the greatest scheme of things, deaf people are invisible. The fact that they have this hearing loss and are different from others cannot be seen. So one needs to really make sure that there is awareness created of that. And of course the fact that it's a linguistic and cultural minority group. In a country that is so vast with language and cultures, we forget that there is also a thing called sign language and deaf culture. So this just really raises the priority and the focus on this beautiful little community.
12: Which age groups are mostly affected and what are some of the common causes?
11: You know, every community is equally affected. Common causes would be birth challenges. So very often during birth, there might be challenges where either the infant is damaged or if mom has an infection during pregnancy, or even after birth, if there is an infection, the medication that's given to the child or time in ICU might cause a hearing loss. And about 50% of
12: cases are genetic
11: and very hard to trace so very often we don't know what caused the hearing loss and then we assume it's genetic
12: let's shift our focus to the vet center for deaf studies this year celebrating its 20th anniversary walk us through your journey how has the past 20 years been
11: a wonderful journey the first step was trying to get a university to buy into the fact that we needed to train teachers and have the center i approached three universities Two turned me down, and Wits University said we'll take the challenge. And I've been here ever since. We started with one person, and we now have 15 people on site and 150 people all over the country working for the centre with academics, training teachers of the deaf, working in short courses with the deaf community. We do research as we lead the country and the continent in just new innovations in deafness and a very big community service project that we run.
12: Now, on that note, what contributions have you made on the continent in terms of reducing the barriers to communicating for and with members of the deaf community?
11: sure. The first thing we did was, you know, training teachers of the deaf to be able to communicate with their deaf learners is just a top priority. And over the years, we've been sharing what we've learned with other countries, specifically in the SADC region and more recently Northern Africa. We have people from Tanzania at the moment. We've had Malawi and, of course, and recently Morocco. We also have trained deaf people themselves how to start businesses, how to start training people in sign language, so to start their own businesses. And we've trained deaf people how to take on the role of teacher assistant and empowering deaf people that way. But the main thing is empowering parents of deaf children so that you're starting as early as possible for deaf people to become equal and, you know, contributing members of South African society at large.
12: In terms of the challenges that you've had to deal with along the way, what are they?
11: One of the first challenges we had to deal with was trying to convince people that a deaf person could in fact be a teacher of the deaf. So initially no one would let us register deaf people to study to become teachers. One of the second challenges was for people to realise that South African Sign Language was a real language and therefore could be registered at the university as a subject to be taught. Deaf people always need sign language interpreters and are often then seen as a burden by an employer or events where they have to then organise an interpreter, whereas other disabilities will have a toilet or a ramp put in and that's a once-off expense. So it's a very particular challenge we've had to face. And then in the long run, because we do so much community work and we believe that a family with an infant with hearing loss should not be paying for what we believe is human rights. Supporting them through the disability and the grief that they follow, we've been doing it free of charge. And so it's really been fundraising for this invisible disability, which has really been huge.
12: Are there any myths and misconceptions about deaf people that you feel need to be dispelled?
11: Oh, there's huge, huge amounts. The first one is that deaf people are deaf and dumb. So deaf people love the word deaf. They celebrate it and they do not see it as a derogatory term. So please do not use words like deaf and dumb, hearing impaired, hearing loss. They want to celebrate that they're deaf with a capital D. Second of all, that deaf people are unable to take on jobs that they can't read and write and that they are very passive. Deaf people can do anything and, in fact, are often more committed as employees because they know how rare jobs are. That deaf people can't enjoy music is a big myth. Deafness is very seldom totally profound, so they can hear some music and, of course, they can feel it with a beat. So they really do enjoy rhythm, beat. And the other big thing is that there's this thing called international sign. You know, this sign language is one big international family. And, in fact, every country has its own unique sign language.
12: And finally there, Professor, your final message for Deaf Awareness Month.
11: As a centre where we don't have a bias, we don't really mind whether people sign to deaf people or speak with them, but make it accessible. Do not hide from deaf people, do not run away. Be brave, take that third step, use a bit of gesture, don't be shy to make mistakes. And the other thing, just to recognise them as equal communities, South African Sign English being its own true language and culture and just treat them as normal people of our normal community with just a different language. And be bold. You know, don't be scared to use your hands.
1: And that was Professor Claudine Storbeck of the WITS Center for Deaf Studies in South Africa talking to Elizabeth Lidicha. A Kenyan research scientist, Jim Justice Nyamu, says the rate uh, African elephants are being killed through poaching and trophy hunting, countries need to work together for a common solution. Now, Jim has embarked on a walk across East and Southern Africa to raise awareness about elephant and other uh, wildlife conservation. He spoke with Hilda Akekuela uh, in Zimbabwe.
13: If you look at the current population of elephants in Africa, we only have 414,000 elephants from 3.5 million elephants. In Zambia here, 10 years ago, recorded the highest population of elephants as 49,000 elephants. Today, if you look at the elephant status report, shows only 21,000 elephants, which in 1979 had 100,000 elephants. So what we are seeing is the number of elephants have continued coming down. Zimbabwe hosts 66,000 elephants, and this number has come down from 109,000 from 2009. Botswana is reading with 130,000, which has come down from 108,000 elephants. If we don't protect and look for the way which I charge the parliamentary committee to look at the long-term land use planning, the moment you encroach in those corridors, resort comes in, which means killing people, infighting fight people, being killed by elephants. Of all the countries that you've been, which country would be the worst? Yeah, it's actually Tanzania. And I would say Tanzania in 2008, we had 140,000 elephants. Today, Tanzania has 42,000 elephants. Seru, which is one of the biggest game reserve in Africa, that touches Malawi, Nasa, today has less than 10,000 elephants from a population of almost 70,000 elephants. The second country will actually be maybe Namibia, you know, and it is simply because Namibia is half of the country is actually 80% of the country is Yeah, And so the same case, the wildlife authority, the Zawa of those countries are not empowered. And so they cannot be able to reach to those levels. But still, uh, DRC Congo, Garamba, that's another area which I would call is a slaughterhouse. What you've seen, we've lost so many regions or the officers, because that's, those are fighting crowd for Kony. And the other one is uh, Southern Sudan, Darfur, the bomber areas, there the story is something different. Have you engaged governments way to work together so as to protect the animals. It, or countries are left to individual efforts. When I arrived in uh, Rusaka, I had a meeting with the parliamentarian who are government policy makers and one of my third objective is to identify ask these countries to identify an integrated approach. They themselves countries to country I know each country command their own sovereignty but ask them for the sake of Cross-border elephant conservation: Identify an integrated approach that you would call. This is there is uh, in Africa we have uh, two different coalitions of elephant countries. We have the African Elephant Coalition. Within this country, none of the Sardep country is a member of coalition, because the sardep countries they want to work in their own way and trade with the live elephants. But Zambia wants to join the coalition, and the other the other group is called the African Elephant Action Plan. This group of countries, SARDEP is an, is their members of the action plan, is to try and solicit for funds from donors outside Africa. When that money comes in the kit, it is to support in monitoring the elephants. And recently they did a survey through the greater elephant survey supported by the African coalition plan
1: to bring that money together. The time is now 1744 Central African time. It's time for us to find out what is happening in the world of economics. Sunny. what have you got for us? The ITU
4: conference is currently underway and we've got the Minister of Telecommunications speaking there giving a keynote address and President uh, Ramaphosa also uh, giving a keynote address. It's um, a conference where it's, uh, mm-hmm. you have uh, delegates from all over the world to look at how technology can improve lives. Um, people now are talking about fridges uh, and even mm, stoves, mm. and which will, will,
1: will be uh, using uh, electronics. I mean, the, the most interesting thing for me that they spoke about at this conference definitely had to be uh, the, the artificial intelligence and, of course, uh, rolling out 5G networks. 5G networks, yes, 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 definitely. De- yeah, all
4: right, yeah. Thanks, Samora. Indeed, we go to Durban, where South Africa's Minister of Telecommunications and uh, Postal Services, Siabonga Kwele, says the government is planning for the licensing of a 5G spectrum once it's allocated. Kwele says they can no longer have delays in rolling out infrastructure and want to start working with the private sector so that they can take the opportunity. He was speaking at the ITU Telecom World Conference underway in Durban
10: which is used in the Internet of Things. There's a spectrum which is critical for the digital economy and uh, those are the things we're putting in place. That's why we're very happy that our South African companies, MTN, Telecoms and other international companies, they are really putting foundation for this digital economy. We're rolling out infrastructure which is basics. Uh, we're working with companies from abroad and about here to deal with application. We are also finalizing our approach to data management.
4: Manuel South African President Cyril Ramaphosa has warned that the fourth industrial revolution will fail if it remains in the hands of selected few instead of being available to everyone. He was the keynote speaker at the ITU Telecom World Conference and Exhibition in Durban. Thousands of delegates from around the world are attending. The new 5G generation of mobile telecommunications is expected to revolutionize life with connected appliances, including fridges, aircons, and security systems becoming a common place. Ramaphosa says the benefits should be available to everyone, including the poor.
3: The important to Africa and developing countries is the need for countries to share manufacturing and localization opportunities to allow equal access and shared growth throughout the world. We say this so that some of these capabilities must not be the sole freedom of certain countries only.
4: And South Africa's Finance Minister Antlantla Nene has cited the technical recession witnessed in the first six months of the year as one of the additional risks in tax collection addressing the tax Indaba conference in Johannesburg. Nene says South Africa's tax collection this year could be well lower than focus due to the downturn in the economy. The tax revenue target has been set at 885 billion US dollars and Nene says the South African government will prioritize fixing the economy.
13: There is now an additional downside risk to tax revenue projected at the beginning of the year because of the contraction of the econo- in the economy in the first six months of the calendar year, as we have seen. Fixing our economy to ensure it grows faster and in a more sustainable manner
4: is therefore a critical. Faster economic growth simply means we will have more revenue to collect. Economic growth is pivotal to what we want
13: to achieve as a country only a growing economy can create jobs and opportunities for lifting poorest the poorest out of poverty
4: revenue from the drc's mining sector has nearly tripled in the first half of 2018 over the same period last year to 864.6 million dollars revenue from hydrocarbon sector however declined by a third to six seven point seven million dollars the two sectors together account for roughly 95 percent of congo's export revenue in south sudan uh, the country has signed an agreement to extend all exploration and production agreements for three blocks the northeastern african country's petroleum ministry says it's extended the contracts for china national Petroleum Corporation, South Sudan State-run Nile Petroleum Company, Malaysia's Petronas, and India's Oil and Natural Gas Corporation. Financial indicators, the dollar 1074 Botswana Pula, 1023 Zambian Kwacha, BRICS currencies at 4 Brazilian real, at 69.7 Russian Ruble, 71.94 Indian Rupee, 6.86 Chinese Yuan, and at 15 Rand 22 cents against the South African rand Commodities gold $1,193. Platinum $775 per fine ounce. Brand crude oil has gone up to $77.30 per barrel. That's how it's looking.
1: A very big thank you to Wisani for that update on the economics. But right now, let's find out what's happening in the world of sport with Budi Makura.
14: Good evening, sports fans. 2018 U.S. Open men's champion Novik Djokovic says the empire in the Williams-Osaka women's final should have not pushed Serena Williams to the limit, but also felt sorry, um, rather um, empathized with the official in a tough situation.
15: I, look, you know, I, I watched what, I, I love Serena. I mean, first of all, I mean, I, I, I really felt for her yesterday. Tough, tough, tough thing for for chair empire to deal with, you know, as well. You know, we have to empathize with him. You know, everyone was in a very awkward situation yesterday. Um, with a lot of emotions, and Serena was crying, and Naomi was crying, and it was it was really, really, you know, really tough. But um, I have my personal opinion that that maybe the chair empire should not have pushed Serena to the limit, especially in the Grand Slam final. You know, just maybe changed. Not maybe it did change the course of the match, and and just was in my opinion, maybe unnecessary.
14: On Saturday, Serena Williams was handed a warning for a coaching violation before being deducted a point for smashing her racket. She then had a heated argument with chair-empire Carlos Ramos, which cost her the game. She went on to lose that match to Naomi Osaka. While well, just going back to the men's final, it was a clinical performance by Novak Djokovic as he dismissed Juan Martín del Potro, 637663, to collect his third U.S. Open title on Sunday night, giving him 14 Grand Slams to move into a tie for third, uh, third position on the all-time list alongside Pete Sampras.
15: Pete Sampras is one of the biggest legends ever to, to play the game, and he's was my childhood idol. You know, he he was someone I was looking up to, and uh, the first, actually, thing I saw related to tennis on the TV was his uh, first or second Wimbledon championship, and that inspired me to start playing tennis. So, uh, there. Um, there's a lot of significance of you know me being now, you know, uh, shoulder to shoulder in terms of Grand Slam wins with him. I mean, it's it's truly incredible when you think about it. You know, I uh, watched him watch him win one of his first Wimbledon championships, and I grew up, you know, uh, playing and and thinking that I'm, one day I'll be able to do what he does, uh, and and to be actually be here, it's, uh, it's a dream come true.
14: Minwa Naomi Osaka has bossed in the glory of her U.S. Open victory, hoisting her trophy from a top Rockefeller center in New York, a day after defeating Serena Williams in a controversial women's final. Well, it still doesn't really feel that real. Um, I think right now what I'm feeling is very tired is the main thing I feel. So um, hopefully as that wears off,
8: then I'll start feeling more happy.
14: On athletics news, the triumphant ultra-distance running team South Africa returned home earlier today from uh, the IAU. 100-kilometre world championships in Croatia, where both the women and the men's team won silver medals. Three-time Comrades Marathon champion, Bongmu Samtembu won the individual bronze medal in the men's race. Samtembu had led the race with a little more than 10 kilometres to go, but ended up in third position in a time of six hours, 33.47 seconds. Now, uh, Mtembu says a team effort got them to the podium.
10: If I compare the last uh, championship that I uh, was uh, part of it, this one was the best one for me in terms of working together, in terms of the hiccup that we had, even our way going going forward. As Unique said also, we need to prepare our team in a in a, in a good space. We, I sorry that we not meet in a, in a week before the event because everybody has been training his own training, so sometimes it's difficult to. To maybe to speak with someone when he's on the rest because you don't know his plan but if we have been together for a couple of weeks for a couple of months we could have been like say to somebody if he tried to make push because could they they i think they saw the guys where this guy they tried to push the place the guy who was already who's been target he was way back for us so these guys they were there they were there just to keep on chasing us
14: Just a correction, the Mtember actually finished in a time of 6 hours 33 minutes and 47 seconds. So I'll leave it there for now. I'm back with more sports news just before 8 p.m. Central African time.
0: This is Africa Digest.
1: And that wraps up Africa Digest today from myself Samora Mangesi, producer Liana Maome and technical producer Adrian Kenny and the rest of the Africa Digest team, thank you so much for listening. For comments on the show, you can send us an email at info at channelafrica.co.za or send us a WhatsApp to 763003327. That is 763003327. And if you're outside of the South African borders, be sure to use that international dialing code, which is PLUS27. You can also tweet us at channelafrica1. Also be sure to join us again later on in the evening from 7 until 8 p.m. for the second hour of Africa Digest this evening. Taking us to the top of the hour is Gunuza by Bonye Ziwe We'll see you later. <laughs>
6: And i just a yeah, i I'm a I'm i Save say what?